here this morning? It's good to have you here joining us for our services this morning. Our scripture reading is found in Colossians chapter 3. Please turn there in your Bibles with me. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. If you don't have your own Bible, our ushers do have Bibles available. They'll bring one to you if you raise your hand. Colossians chapter 3. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. If in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. God, give us wisdom, challenge, and encourage our hearts through his word this morning. Let's bow now in a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing us to come together today. We pray that you would bless, bless our gathering here. We thank you for each one that's here. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the... Um, as we have this opportunity that we give full attention to your word and that we might take in your word, that you might challenge, encourage, instruct, rebuke um, through your word today, that we might come to Christ trusting in him as our one and only Savior. You might, we might live for Christ as the only thing worth living for. We might look forward to being with him forever, sharing eternity with him as our all in all. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. A glorious song song that bridges what was spoken last week. Brian spoke on the three keys to victory. If you remember those three keys, the three keys to victory. First one was hope, having a right hope. The second one was what we sang about, because he is holy, we are to be Holy, holiness is that second, that second one. And the third one he spoke of from 1 Peter chapter 1, 
through 1 Peter 2. That last one was unity. In other words, as we work together, that God is building in us something that's bigger than us, bigger than ourselves. I praise God for the preaching of God's word, and God has gifted individuals, and Brian has committed himself to, um, to the Lord, to this church, to his family. I praise God for that, and that uh, God has used him in doing that. So it's good to have a time off. It's good to be back and to be um, preaching God's word now from, from the pulpit here. And today we continue in our series and we find ourselves in Colossians 3. And so that song that we sang just now, the choir sang, Holy, Holy is the Lord, reminds us because of, like I mentioned, Brian mentioned in 1 Peter because he is holy, we are to live holy lives. And so today, from Colossians chapter 3, we, we get a, a, a how-to. How to do this. How do we, the practical way of living holy. God requires that each one of us live holy. And not, it's not, it, 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 and that even doesn't capture the full sense of it. It's not just that he requires. It is our true nature to live this way. So God wants us to be like him because he has given us a new nature and he's living within us. And so he wants the fruit to look like the tree. He wants us to reflect where we come from, who, where we have gotten our nature from. And so today, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Really, when you break it down, Colossians is talking um, simply about our salvation and our sanctification. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, we, verse 6, we noted a key phrase there. Colossians 2, 6, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. That really sums up as you received Christ, so walk in him. Don't forget that the key in this verse is Christ. As you receive Christ, walk in him. Christ is the key. And what he's saying is Christ is central and he is the key to our salvation. We need to recognize that. We trust Christ as our one and only Savior. He alone, he and he alone saves us from our sin. He redeems us. He does that all by himself. It is what he accomplished. It's what God accomplished through him in his death on the cross, in his resurrection from the grave that secures those who trust in him. And so when we come to trust in Christ, we are trusting that he alone saves us, and he's done that through the cross. He has paid for our sin. Our sin is completely paid uh, by Christ's death, and that God accepts that because we are trusting in that. He is a substitute now for our, uh, our payment that's due to God. He has paid that. 
When we trust in him, that's what happens. And so coming to Christ in salvation is laying your life on him completely. You are saying no one else, nothing else can redeem me, can save me from sin. And so my Savior is Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, how does this then relate to our sanctification? We said salvation is that coming to Christ. Sanctification really simply is walking in Christ. It's living the life that God has called us to live. Everyone that God has saved, he sanctifies, and everyone who is saved is expected then to walk and live a certain way. No exceptions. And in fact... He makes it a point. Those who are saved do live this way. If you know an exception, what you know is someone who doesn't follow the first rule. They simply weren't saved. They simply don't know Christ. They are not walking. They are not in Christ if they are not walking in Christ. So to be saved is to be in Christ. It is to be trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior. To be sanctified is to be living in a way that pleases God. And the key to that is, is what we're talking about today. The key, here's the point, the key to sanctification, sanctification is the same key to salvation. And it's the old Sunday school answer, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is key to our salvation. Jesus is key to our sanctification. Let's explore how this is brought out in our text. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He says, first of all, as a conditional statement, if. In other words... If this is true, then this follows. If this is true, then this automatically follows. It, it's a logical conclusion. It's, a, it's an if-then statement. If the first part is true, then the second part follows as well. So he says, if you have been raised with Christ. Notice the if statement in chapter 20 of the 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 previous chapter, of verse 20 of chapter 2. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? He's using the same argument. You've been saved. You live a certain way. You think a certain way. You walk, you talk a certain way. You have died to the demonic powers over you. And so, therefore, you no longer live by their powers and their rules. In verse, in chapter 3, he says, if you have been raised with Christ, then he's saying, look, those who have trusted Christ as Lord and Savior have the benefit of his resurrected power in their lives. And because they have that, 
Since that, then this. What is the this? Seek the things that are above. Then the key to living the way that God wants us to live is Christ. In other words, we then ought to and and, and need to, and, and we live this out, that our desire, our goal, Our our focus in life becomes Christ. I want that to sink in a little bit. (laughs) Because that's a simple statement, but that's a radical thought. That's a radical thought. You see, when you woke up this morning... If you're saved, your thought was to be in Christ. <clears throat> now, I know you say, well, Pastor, how am I supposed to do that? I woke up thinking about what I need to do to get ready, whether or not I was going to eat breakfast or not, I was going to get cleaned up, and what I was going to do to the house, and all those things flooded your mind, and, and, and you went on through your business. But I ask you this question, what's the point of all that? And how is that different than before you knew Christ? See, before you knew Christ, you had all of the concerns of this world, and they flooded your mind, and they were your focus, and that's the way you lived, that's the way you walked, and that's the the road, the path you went on. But he says here, now that you have been risen with Christ, you have a whole new framework, a whole new thought pattern. If you then have been risen with Christ, seek those things that are above. He is saying, basically, fill your mind and your life with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the key, then, to living the way he wants you to live. Notice what he says, a couple things. Seek, in verse 1. Seek. Seek the things that are above. And he says, set your mind. First of all, seek is is what you go about doing. You know, um, when I leave the house, I usually have some of these and I have this with me. And you probably do too. And if for some reason you get ready to leave your house and you can't find one of these, you probably do like me. You stop everything until you found these. In fact, I found myself on the road and thinking, wait a minute, I ain't got this. I better go back home and get this. And it goes without saying, you don't even get on the road without this. If you drive, if you walk, you don't even lock the back door without this. And you don't leave the house without locking the back door. Not unless you live somewhere I ain't never lived before. We talk about the domain of darkness, right? <laughs> Where we live, you lock the back door. And you carry something where you can keep in touch with somebody who can help you or somebody who may need your help, right? And so these things are essential. So what you do is if you leave and you don't have this or you get ready to leave and you don't have it, guess what you're going to do? You're going to start seeking. You're going to go on a pursuit until you find it. 
You're not going to stop. You're not going to rest. You're not going to leave home until you got those items. They are important to you. I don't know how many years it was ago, maybe 10, maybe 15. wasn't that long ago that I didn't have one of these. And I didn't think about having it when I left the house. I just left the house. But now things are different. And I don't leave unless I've gotten this. Now that you have a new life, there is something that's supposed to take all of your time and all of your energy and all of your thought. Now, I'm not saying you can't think of anything else. What I'm saying is you don't go without it. And it, it has, he has, a top level of priority with you. And so he says that's the truth. But he's also saying that's something that you have to continue to practice, okay? So he says seek. It's something that you do. Seek. It's, something, it's an effort on your part. And then he says set. There's something that you do. Align your mind thinking this way. Training your mind, practicing your mind to, 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 to pattern, to this pattern, to this way of thinking, to this discipline, to think about Christ. So those expressed that way, seeking and setting your mind, shows our responsibility in doing it. But there's more to it than that because it's not just a mere human discipline. What he wants you to see is that now that you belong to God, now that you have trusted in Christ, your whole life is to change. Your whole thinking and all that you do is to change. Now, how does he express that? He says, what are you to seek? What are you to set your mind on? He says, seek the things that are above. Verse 2, set your mind on what? The things that are above. Now, God knows that we live in this world. He knows that when I drive, you know, they, they don't want you texting while you drive. In fact, it's illegal in Wisconsin to text. Some people don't know that. I'm telling you now. It's, it's illegal to text while you drive. Why is that? Because you can get, get in an accident. Why is that? I keep asking that little question. Why? It's because you're distracted. And so you cannot focus on this and this adequately at the same time. So how is it we're supposed to set our minds on things above when God knows that there's stuff we got to do here on earth? Can we do both? Can, 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 can we have both going on in the same time? Well, actually, you can and the way that you do that is you make one your overriding concern. And so it kind of operates in your, we call it our subconscious. It, it kind of operates in there. It's, it's like in, in the back of our mind that brings things to the front of our mind. It sets the focus for all that we do. Because you are in Christ, you think differently, you talk differently. You even drive differently. Amen? 
<laughs> You're working on that, I know. You're working on that. <laughs> Seek those things, what things? The things that are above. Now our mind, our goal, our focus, our aim, our whole point of life has to do with Christ and not just me. You see, don't just wake up in the morning, what do I got to do to take care of me? You begin to think, how do I please God? How do I walk in his ways? How do I prepare for that? One of the reasons, one of the challenges in living the way that God wants us to live is that we often don't think highly enough. Our thoughts are limited. Our thoughts are grounded to the earth. <laughs> he says, free them up. You're not thinking high enough. You got to aim higher. God wants us to be thinking about him. God wants us to think about the things that are above. In other words, he knows you got to work those 40 hours this week. He knows you can be, maybe be doing some overtime. He knows you may be trying to get a job. He knows you, you are occupied with the things of this life. He knows that. But he also knows that's not good enough for you. Brian talked about it in his sermon last week about that hope. That hope. In other words, that, that, that we have something that drives us that is beyond this world. And, and, and this is what it is as Christians. It's, it's, it's something and it's someone that we cannot see. But he drives all that we do. And if he isn't, your life ain't going nowhere. You go, you're in a dead end. And as soon as you find that out, you can get out of that tailspin that you're in. That my mind and my focus needs to be somewhere greater than myself. And that is the real hope that I have is that, look, this life is, does not have enough hope. It does not have enough for me to be fully invested in it. I remember as I graduated from college, I was going to start my career, and I had started my career in engineering and I was in a company, and I was actually slated to be an executive in that company. And so they had me on a, on a training uh, path. And, and you know what? Well, they thought, you know, they thought they'll, they'll put that carrot in front of you, you know? That carrot is that you're going to have a, a big job with a big office on, you know, looking out on some grand picture, and you're going to have responsibilities and a budget, and, and you, you're going to be a big shot. They put that carrot in front of you, and, 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 and they, want, they, they want those who chase that carrot. They want you to chase that carrot, right? They couldn't figure out why they couldn't motivate me. Why that carrot wasn't working. Because I had seen beyond that carrot. I've seen a lot of people who merely chased that carrot, and at the end of their life, the carrot wasn't good enough. The carrot really didn't taste that good. It really wasn't fulfilling to them. It wasn't satisfying to them. Oh, they thought it would be so satisfying. In fact, they had all the stuff that should have been satisfying. They had the new car. 
They had the new home. They had all the gadgets and the fun stuff and the toys that they wanted, but they still weren't happy. It's amazing to me. I was watching this week Aretha Franklin's funeral services, and, and you know, you just see a whole list of stars and, 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 and influential people and, and high-ups. And I look at them and I ask the question, <laughs> are they it? Is that it? Is that as high as we can go? Is that the best we can do? Is that what you get after all the fame and after all the power? Is that it? Is that all that you have to achieve in this world? If you get everything in this world, that's it? There's got to be more than that. There's got to be more than that. And, and, and so he says here, seek the things that are above. And there's a reason for that. That's not just to keep us out of the fun things in this life. God knows that things will never satisfy they will never bring contentment to you. They will never bring peace to you. They never will bring joy. They will never bring you closer in a walk with the Lord. And, and, and you know, that's contrary to our thinking because we think, man, if I just had a little bit more money, I would really have a pleasant walk with the Lord. <laughs> if I just had that thing that I want, and sometimes that thing is a person, if I just had that mate, if I just had children, if I just had grandchildren, if I just had faithful employees, if I just had whatever it is. God wants us to realize that it doesn't satisfy. We need to get our heights higher. You know how God made us? <laughs> he made us spiritual beings. We can't be satisfied with just physical uh, things and physical substance. We are satisfied only in him. Only in him. That's how grand he made us. You're not going to find it even in human relationships. You're going to find it in him. And so he says this, seek those things that are above. Then he says, set, set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. Now God knows you need to eat, you need to sleep, you, you need things in this life, but what he's saying is reserve your love, your passion, and your desire for God and the things that he has in store for you outside and apart from this earth. Because if all there is is this earth, you're going to be very uh, discouraged. You're going to be very depressed. You're going to be very unfulfilled. But God can fulfill you, and he does, just not on this earth. So he says, don't set your hope here. It's the key to that then. Really in these first four verses is the key. He says, verse 3, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He says, you have died. He, he, he says, <clears throat> Since Christ was in our place, he died for our sin so that I would not have to pay that awful payment myself. 
But now I am to count myself as belonging to him. And I'm going to count myself as dead to my old self and alive to God. Break it down this way. God says the key then is, is being totally wrapped up in him. Say that again. Be totally wrapped up in God. Notice how he says that in these key verses, verse 3 and verse 4. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. See, some people want to say, well, you know, Pastor, you know why I ain't no Sunday school teacher and why I ain't in the choir and why I ain't at the church every time the church open? Because uh, I got a life. And I want to say, really? Because my life belongs to God. And my life is all wrapped up in God. I say, well, that's cool for you because you pastor. You missed the point of all the joy. You really missed it. My life is to be wrapped up all the way in God. So is yours. So is yours. That's what the word of God is saying here. Get wrapped up in God. People think, you know, and that's why some people like to go to the large church because they can be there without being wrapped up. See? Nobody's going to call on them to volunteer in this. Or even if they do volunteer, they don't have to lead it. Nobody has to really fully depend on them. They're not all wrapped up in church. And don't get me wrong. You can be wrapped up in church without being wrapped up in God. I don't think you can be wrapped up in God without being wrapped up in church, though. Not wrapped up in God's program, in God's place, with God's people, in God's ministry. God is saying, get wrapped up in him. Get tied into him. And he says it this way in verse 4. When Christ, notice the little section, who is your life? I got a life. No, you had a life and you died. And God gave you a new life. And your life belongs to God. Stop trying to live your life and give your life to God and get wrapped up in him. That's not a penalty. That's not a punishment. That's the key to living a meaningful life. Everything else at the end of it, Ecclesiastes says, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. The richest man, the most powerful man who lived in his time, Solomon said, look, it ain't worth it. I've tried everything I had. I, I looked at everything. I sampled everything. I tried it. And at the end of all those roads was a dead end until I turned to God. He says, the whole key is fear God. Follow him. Obey him. He's saying, get wrapped up in God. When Christ, who is your life? Don't be ashamed of it. Make him your life. I said the key to salvation is trusting Christ and recognizing that he and he alone, he is the key. You're saving. The key to sanctification is is trusting Christ, that, that he is key in my life. You don't get saved and then walk and live your own life. You come to Christ and you pour your life into him. It's amazing. People got time for everything else 
But when it comes to what God requires and when it comes to what God invites, you have excuses for everything. I've seen people that get so wrapped up in their family when you ask them to do something for church. But before that, they talk a talk. But it's just an excuse. Get wrapped up into God. When Christ, who, by the way, is your life, he says. The verse before that, he says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. God makes no apology for saying your life belongs to him. And he's requesting it of you. We say so much salvation is free, we forget that we are no longer free to ourselves. We're no longer slaves to sin, but the Bible makes it clear, I am a slave to God. We don't even like that terminology. But it's true. The good part is, as a slave to God, he's a great master. He's a great and gracious master. He's one that doesn't pull me in to get all that he can get out of me. He pulls me in so that I can benefit from all that he is. Think about that. That's a partnership. It's me and it's God. What do I bring to that table? Nothing. Nothing. I ask myself, what do I have that's unique? Every, any other individual in this world and you might ask that same question and you know you might pat yourself on the back but I guarantee no matter what you got you see somebody in this world that has a little bit more <laughs> a little bit more we got nothing to offer God nothing and yet he stands in partnership with us so when he is our life it's not because he needs us and wants something from us he's going to drain us dry it's because he knows we benefit from that. So he says this. Now, he gives us some practical things to do. So let's look at some of those. In verse 5, in verse 8, and verse 9, he uses these statements. Put to death, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Verse 8, you must put them all away. You see that? But now you must put them all away. Put them away. Put to death. Verse 9, put off the old self, he says. And verse 10, he says, put on the new self. Put to death. Put them all away. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. Clearly, describes something that we're involved in and something we must do. But don't forget that the motivation and the purpose of this is that Christ is now my life. So, again, we recognize that in salvation we acknowledge Christ as our only hope. In sanctification, we are acknowledging Christ as our only hope. 
What we're saying is, as I live this life now, since Christ has saved me, and I'm walking in him, I recognize that he's the only thing worth living for. He's the only person that's worthy of me dedicating my whole life. He's the only purpose that totally fulfills and therefore uh, 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 makes it uh, legitimate for me to devote myself to. You devote yourself to your career. You can devote yourself to your family. You can devote yourself to to serving others and and all those nice things that, that people say and do. But what I submit to you is that God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the only one worthy of you support, you you are devoting all that you are to. And in fact, unless you are devoting yourself to those things because of your devotion in Christ, it's an empty devotion. Now, it may lead to many accolades in this life. People may praise you like they did Aretha Franklin in, in her funeral. They, they, may, they may extol you for all your virtues and all your values and all the things that you've accomplished in life. But that ain't my question because, you know, Aretha got to face God today. Not people and the albums that she did and the people she gave money to. And th- those things mean little to God. Just because you sang one song about God doesn't make you a follower of Christ. What he's saying is, there is no one worthy of your life's devotion that you get the benefits from when you devote and something out of it more than God. So he says, This key to sanctification is devoting your life to the one who it rightly belongs to. When we get that notion settled in our mind, we begin to serve God, and Christ becomes the key and the center of all that we do. We see his grace in all of our lives. And he becomes our goal that that we are seeking out to do. You can look at the lives of the disciples. Twelve men who walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry. And they had some faults. (laughs) They had some issues. In fact, while while they were living, the two brothers, James and and John, their, their mom came to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, you know, you got my two boys. And that's cool. They, 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 they following you. But I got one thing to ask. Since you're going to take them, why don't you promise me this? That you're going to lift them up and you're going to put them on a high pedestal when you come into your kingdom. Now, the other disciples were mad <laughs> when, when he, she went and did that. And, and she, 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 her thinking was all wrong. What can I get out of this? I want you to lift up my boys. I want, you to, I want you to raise them up. I want them to have a special place. So those disciples, in some way, could have been serving God for other motives. 
But at some point after Christ died on the cross and after he was resurrected from the dead, it clicked with them. They no longer saw how they could be great connected to him. They simply wanted to serve him and they were willing to serve him till their death. Each one of them did exactly that. They had committed their life. They, what it is, it's kind of a picture of Colossians. They saw the greatness of Christ and it just exploded in their life. And they figured their life could be nothing better than to be devoted to this great Savior who has saved them and set them on a path. And so they, their whole goal, their whole focus, their whole devotion was following Christ. And everything they did was because of that, motivated by that, and set up by that. That's what Paul is encouraging us to do. Every Christian, the key then to our sanctification is to recognize that Christ is worth living for. He is worth dying for. He is worth living a holy life for. He is worth all that. We are to set our total devotion that way. He says some practical ways. Put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Notice he said, which is idolatry. He's saying all these things really say that Christ ain't the, really the center of your life. You got another God that you're going to worship. You're going to set your heart for. In other words, anything less than Christ is another idol. He says, don't go that way. But he also says this, verse 7, in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now. In other words, there's an old pattern of your life that needs to be broken, and it's broken in a very practical way, is when you account Christ as more important than anything else. Think about that. We use a word today, very strong word, and it flavors a lot of our thinking. We use the word addicted. Somebody is an alcoholic. Somebody is addicted. I like the word devoted. They simply have devoted their life to that. Now you say, why would somebody devote their life to destruction? Because it didn't start as destruction. It started as a God who promised them many things, joy, Pleasure, relief, release, escape, happiness, fun, thrill, ease of pain. It promised them all those things, but what it ended up is dragging them into slavery. And they're still devoted to those things even when they don't want to be. Extreme devotion. walk with Christ then is to devote ourselves to him. Now how is it that we deal with some of these strong devotions of our past? 
what we need to recognize and what we need to account and what we need to practice is that Christ is more important to us than any of those things. We need to see the truth about those things and we need to see even more the truth about Christ. The truth about those things is that they don't satisfy. They drag us down and they will suffocate, enslave, and kill us. Whether that thing is a drug, or whether that thing is lust for a person, or even lust for a thing, materialism, that won't stop until it drags us all the way down, suffocates us, enslaves us, and kills us. So we need to see the truth about that. But we also need to see the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our only Savior. He's the only one worth living for. Remember we said the key to salvation is recognizing Christ is our only Savior. The key to sanctification, he's the only one worth living for. We need to practice that truth. We need to remind ourselves of that truth constantly. Now the world constantly has these messages and signals that confuse us with that truth, that Christ is the only one worth living for. You look on commercials, you'll find that no, the world don't agree with that at all. In fact, in a short 30 seconds, they will convince you that a new car is the best thing for you in the whole world. And you, buy, you might as well get it now because the new season is coming. You can get the old ones, right, for a cheap price, and you get this new deal, and boom. Boy, this is the greatest thing. This is the best thing in your life. Your whole life is going to change. You're going to look beautiful. You're going to lose weight. You're going to have a car that never stops. You, oh, you're just going to be great. In a few 30 seconds, they convinced you of that. So we are competing with all of these things. We need to be reminded of the truth that, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's the 2018, maybe even the 2019. But what's going to happen in 2028? It's going to be 10 years old, raggedy, and I'm still going to be paying for it. It didn't quite fulfill all that it promised. We need to see that ahead of time. And think about that ahead of time. And meanwhile, factor into that Christ fulfills all that he promises. And guess what? In 2028, we still might be struggling. But Christ says, look, you ain't there yet. I am going to fulfill. In other words, it takes faith to trust in Christ. It takes faith to know that heaven is there and is coming and it's glorious, and it's more than we can even imagine. It takes faith to set our minds on things above instead of things on the earth, to not get all wrapped up in debt instead of recognizing God is my hope, to live that way. So it's just some things that, that you need to do in a practical way. You need to constantly remind yourselves of the value of things that are incomparable to Christ. When you do that, he says, you can do some daily reminders. I'm going to save this for next week. One way to remind ourselves is by dressing. Dressing ourselves. You know, when you dress yourself, you remind yourself. It, it helps in identity. When I was a little boy, we used to have Sunday to go to meeting clothes, Right? I wore a tie. In fact, I'm sure my dad thinks of me, why you ain't wearing a tie today? 
you preaching. You ought to, you're in the church. You ought to be wearing a tie. <laughs> well, fashions change and things change. And, but what it does is the dress reminds us of who we are, and it tells others who we are as well. So he says, put on these things. Remind yourself who you are. Remind yourself that you belong to me. When a guy comes and rings my doorbell and he says, I'll come to fix your furnace, and he has one of those shirts with the company name and his name right up under here, and he's got those same color pants on and a van outside my front door with the name on that, I go, oh, yeah, you legit. Come on in. But if you walk around the corner in my alley and say, hey, man, can I help you work on it? Wait a minute. <laughs> I don't know if I can trust you. You ain't got no tools. <laughs> you, you, you ain't got no skills that, that I know of. I ain't going to just let you in my house. Walk all around, see everything I got. Tell me you got to go back and get something. Come back later when I ain't there. I don't know. I don't know about all that. But when you wear the right clothes, it says something about you, doesn't it? it? It makes you legit to others and to yourself as well. He says, dress yourself up. Dress yourself up. Somebody comes in and uh, they begin to give you instructions or even commands. Now, if they got up today dressed like a police officer, that's one thing. You go, yeah, I know who you are. I know who you are. I see your attire. I'm aware. It, it, it identifies you for who you are. You have authority because of that. So he says there's certain things that we need to get dressed in. Certain things we need to change our dress. Stuff we used to wear that's no longer appropriate. That's the thing about dress. It has to do with being appropriate for the task. What's appropriate? You know, you go to a wedding and you wear attire that's appropriate, especially the people that are in the wedding, understand that very much so, that they are standing in front, they are at a grand occasion, which is the focus of one's life, and they want to be dressed properly. Women get their hair done, get manicures, get facials, they get all these things, and, 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 and they're prepared. The men get haircuts, they, 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 some of us try to slim down and we can fit our suits a certain way, and, and, and we want to look right. And you notice when you dress that way, you act a certain way. You tend to stand up straight. You stand to have a smile on your face. You, you greet people in a certain way. And so that dress reminds you of who you are and what your responsibilities are. One of the challenges I have, I wear so many hats. When I wake up in the morning, it's hard to figure out what I should wear. At a particular Saturday morning this summer where I woke up and I wanted to work out. I wanted to go to the Y. I wanted to, to do a workout, but then I wanted to, to washed my truck, I wanted to cut my grass, and, and then I had to get on a move because I had a funeral to go to. I had a men's fellowship after that, and I had a wedding after that. So how do I dress that day? <laughs> I couldn't wear one thing at all those occasions. And so what I wore to one had to be changed, and, and the, the point there is it had to be appropriate had to meet the occasion. It had to fit what my responsibility was, what I was involved in. Your dress needs to do the same. 
what you wear, what you put on, what you take off and what you put on. But we're not talking about changing a couple times a day. We're talking about our inner character and our inner being. He says, put on these things and take off these things. But the whole point, I'm going to get into that next week, but the whole point of that is because Christ now is our life, he flavors, impacts, and affects everything that we do and everything that we think because we were saved because he and he alone could save us and he became the focus of our salvation. He then too should be the focus of our sanctification. Our walk with Christ is because of who he is, what he has done, and who we now are because of what he's done. He becomes the focus of all of our life. And so salvation is just not something that happens once and you're done, you're cool, you can, you, know, you can go on and just breeze through life. No, once you've been saved, you've been impacted for life, and now Christ is to become your life. Get wrapped up in Christ. Wake up in the morning with him. Go to bed at night with him. Take him where you work out. Take him where you work. Take him where you go to school. Take him where you hang out. Take him where you eat. Let him be the focus of all that you do. You know, that's why we pray before we eat. We don't pray because we scared somebody done put something in our food. We pray you, you, got the, you got the government and all the standards to tell you how meat is supposed to be and such and such. You pray because you recognize that God is the key to everything you do, even something mundane and regular as putting food in your mouth. You're saying, God, thank you that you've given me something to nourish me and to keep me going. And, and the way I pray now, I used to pray, thank you for the nourishment. Now I say, thank you that it also tastes good. Because that's what I'm here for. I ain't eating nothing that don't taste good. I'm thanking God for even the beauty of taste. That I've got taste buds. I don't just eat cardboard with vitamins. You eat something because it tastes good, right? You enjoy what you eat. Don't you thank God he's given you the ability to enjoy even mundane things like salt and butter? Uh-huh. Don't, don't, don't laugh. You wouldn't eat no popcorn without one of those on it. And popcorn don't have no nutrition value, so you eat it because you like it. You like it. You enjoy it. God gave you that. And so your whole focus in all that you do is to recognize, God, you are key to everything in my life. I can enjoy this sandwich, I can enjoy this popcorn, I can enjoy whatever it is I'm having and enjoying now because of you and how I am connected to you. You are my life. Father, we thank you for who you are. Help us to recognize more and more each day this week that we are because of you and we live because of you. And so, Lord, you are the focus of our living and are to be the focus of all that we do. So help us to think through that, to digest it, to walk in it, to live according to it this day. Lord, we recognize this is the Lord Jesus Christ.
He's the one that saved us. He's the one who gave his life for us, Lord. You brought him to that, and you had your Holy Spirit to bring us to conviction about that, to hear that message of salvation, and to show us what our response needs to Christ is in all of their life. They have no life. They have no hope. But he is there to be their life and to be their hope. If they will but trust, given of their sin, to have eternal life with you, the hope of heaven, the sure thing of heaven. We thank you for that. We pray now, Lord, that we learn to live, making you all of our life, recognizing you, recognizing all the things that we have in you, and thanking you and living obediently because of you. Speak to our hearts this week as we go throughout this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.